Hello and welcome to the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you here. And hello to all of those listening on podcasts, wherever you get your favorite podcasts, your favorite podcatcher. Like, subscribe, tell your friends. We're here. Um, so Donovan, uh, was I was I right or was I right about that game last night? You were right. You're right. You know what it is? It's because the Bears and the Panthers have this incestuous relationship where they trade with each other, they pick up each other's players. They they just recycle the bad football players that what we saw on that field was a whole lot of bad. So well, I think I described it yesterday as Bears, Panthers, whatever. Um, and I said the best result for the Chicago Bears would have been a tie. And we almost had that yesterday. 16-13, the final. I really thought that they were going to make us go to overtime and painfully have to watch that. But what did you make of the Frank Reich decision near the end of the game there? He calls a timeout on what was kind of a nothing play. It's not like they were running out of time and and then... The, the play call on the third and 10 leads them to, you know, almost a 60 yarder to tie the game. Frank Reich talked after the game about maybe second guessing himself on that one, especially after you missed the field goal. And then, you know, not having that extra timeout, which maybe you could have gotten the ball back. What did you make of that whole scenario at the end of the game there, which could have ended up in us having to, you know, sit through another, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes of horrible football. So there's a term that has been coined during the pandemic. It's called quietly quitting. And I feel like Frank Wright is quietly quitting. He seemed like he wanted to be anywhere else but on the sideline. I don't know if it was appreciably cold. I know that watching his offense can make you feel cold inside. And to me, he was just like, let's limit the amount of mistakes, the chances of us driving the field and, and, and scoring a touchdown are slim. So we'll just set up for a Hail Mary field goal that actually, quite frankly, off the foot, I thought was going in, and then it just fell well short. But there was no time where it seemed like they were going to really push the envelope, push the ball down the field, play with tempo, pay, play with pace. It's as if he didn't realize that, like, they desperately needed to win that game. Everything was passive, and thus the players played passive. What was your take? Because to me, I was like, he is as miserable watching this football game as I am. Well, I think it's twofold. One, he's miserable because the players he has aren't very good. And the the other part is, is... You know, we're we're easy, it's it's very easy to make assumptions on Bryce Young this early in his career, but I don't put I mean there were a couple of throws yesterday that he probably should have, but generally speaking, I don't think we can make an assumption on Bryce Young and that's part of the conversation here with Frank Reich in that he can barely work with his quarterback because his offensive line's horrible. The receivers that they have outside of Adam Thielen who's been great have been garbage so I, I think it kind of goes both ways like I think he he feels like this is a lost year from a team perspective and from a development perspective with this quarterback I I, I agree he did kind of look like he stop, did not I want to stop you there yeah yeah I, I want to stop you there though because I don't think 
any of us coming into this season said, man, Nico uh, Collins and Tank Dell, I need them on my fantasy roster. We didn't think the Houston Texans were set up for success. His best offensive weapon maybe was Dalton Schultz and he being C.J. Stroud. I don't see the Panthers doing anything to set up Bryce Young for success. You mentioned the offensive line issues. So teams can rush four because they can get pressure with four on five. They don't need to blitz or bring extra people. Thus, Bryce Young is throwing into crowds. People are dropping seven uh, routinely, and he can't see over his offensive line in the first place, and all he sees is color in the secondary. Can we get some sort of movement, some motion, some pre-snap motion, some trick plays, some reverses? Some of the ingenuity that we saw whether it was Indianapolis, whether it was the staff in Philadelphia that you know brought us the Philly special in the Super Bowl for a TD, some of the stuff that he would have theoretically learned coaching under Andy Reid, I see none of that. So it's like when you put this plan together, outside of just dropping back and having receivers who can't get open hope to get open, what what's the plan for success? Like what what's the theme, the model, the thesis statement of this offense i can't tell yeah i don't i don't necessarily disagree with that i mean you're right it's very vanilla and maybe that's an indictment on bryce young and and his ability to process things like i i don't know we're not in the room so it's very difficult for us to say um but i did bring this up earlier in the week uh, i think it was on two yeah it was tuesday when when you were when you were um doing your interviews and and i said like Remember the time when CJ Stroud wasn't going to go anywhere and he wasn't going to be a good enough NFL quarterback because, you know, he didn't score well on the S2 cognition test and Bryce Young scored off the charts. Like, I think we're realizing that that kind of stuff doesn't necessarily matter. And so I, I wonder how much of that is there. And then it goes to, you know, how how easy things were for him at Alabama with the players, not only that he played with, but the players he was playing against. And so when you get to the NFL, now you're in the, now you're in the big boy league, right? And and I think there's a conversation to be had. Maybe this could also be and you know when we had David Newton on yesterday and I he he did defend the Panthers a lot, but his point was was very well made in that look at what some of the best first overall picks have done in their first years or or first round pick quarterbacks just in general. Um a lot of them have struggled and I think if CJ Stroud is just, if he had looked just average to this point, we would not be having these conversations. But I think that's the big reason why, you know, we're so critical of Bryce Young right now is that CJ Stroud, you know, the Ohio State quarterback, you know, the school that can't produce really good quarterbacks, he's really played at an exceptional level, one of the best levels that we've seen a rookie play in in the history of the game. So I, I think that's all part of it. I, I feel for Bryce Young because. Like is Hayden Hurst getting things done? Is Jonathan Mingo or uh, DJ Chark wasn't even on the field yesterday because he was hurt? Terrace Marshall Jr., LaVisca Chenault. Like th- none of these guys instill any sort of confidence. At least when we talked about Tank Dell and Nico Collins, it was like, well, we think that there's something there. I don't think anybody thinks there's anything there with Terrace Marshall Jr. anymore, uh, although he was highly thought of coming out of LSU. Um, the same thing can be said about Hayden Hurst and. Uh, and and the other guys that I mentioned. So, listen, the Panthers—they're bad, and 
you know, having a losing environment around the first overall pick is kind of expected just because there's a reason why you were drafting first overall. It's because you were bad the previous year, and it's really hard to get out of that. But I agree with you. Frank Reich does not look super thrilled to be there right now, and he got a big contract from the Panthers. So I don't anticipate that they're going to pay him to do something else. But at some point, something's got to change, and you got to protect your quarterback at least a little bit. Like you said, you know, drop some motion, get, do something to help this guy out. And you're right, they're not doing that right now. Well, the interesting thing is when we looked at quarterback landing spots, we thought, well, this is the perfect one. New coach, new lease on life. The coach is a former quarterback, has been a quarterback whisperer. You have a QB coach in McCown, who was rumored to be a potential future head coach in the league. Their offensive staff is littered with former quarterbacks. And so you thought, man, this is the perfect landing spot. I think we mentioned it yesterday. I think the biggest thing for me around the revisionist history with this pick is not that he's struggling in year one, because that's what happened. You're picked first overall because you're going to a bad team. And there's a long list of quarterbacks who struggled in their first year who got picked first overall because they went to bad teams. Peyton Manning threw more interceptions uh, than anybody in the league in his first year because he went to the Colts and they were terrible. We expect that. To me, the issue is the cost. The fact that you gave up picks, the fact that that was a win-win last night for the Bears, who now, because they beat Carolina and have their pick, if the draft was today, they would be drafting first overall. And the Bears are also themselves terrible, so they'd be also drafting fifth with their 3-7 and seven record. If the draft was right now, as I mentioned, Chicago would have the first overall pick because Carolina is 1-8 and eight and they own that pick. Arizona? right behind at second and one and eight giants two and seven Patriots two and seven. Those are two teams who expected to be in the playoffs. They'd be drafting three and four. And then the bears at five with three and seven. You're so bad. And you're not even going to have your first overall pick this year. And you trade it up. And I I don't think it was a consensus that Bryce young was necessarily going to go first overall. You could have potentially kept your pick and drafted Bryce young. That's why I think to me, the trade, Again, it's been half a year, but at this point, looks so bad. Yeah, he's basically, Bryce Young has to be, you know, kind of on a Hall of Fame level, if we're if we're being honest here, as a quarterback going forward. And again, there's a, there's a, long, there's a long laneway here for him to make that up. Uh, on the other side, not, uh, there was one touchdown in this game and it wasn't even an offensive touchdown. It was a punt return by Amir Smith Marset. And it was, it was great. Wonderful. That's all we got to see. A lot of field goal, which I think we expected. But uh, Tyson Bajant yesterday, 20 of 33, 162 passing yards. Uh, he was not sacked. Didn't turn the ball over. He's two and two as the starter. And I'm not saying that he should start over Justin Fields, but you know, he's he's kept the team in games. They they only lost by seven to uh, the Saints when he started. Uh, they lost only by six when he came into the game against Minnesota, and he was 10 of 14 for 83 yards. He did throw an interception in that game. But, like, the offense has been okay. And the biggest thing is that he is not taking nearly as many sacks 
as Justin Fields. I guess what I'm asking is Justin Fields being on the sideline. Can he actually learn something here from Tyson Bajit, who doesn't leave the pocket early and stands in there and maybe takes a beating, but he's, he's hangs in there and makes plays that sometimes we have not seen Justin Fields make. Like, do you think there was a learning process here in the time that Justin Fields has been out? I love that thought process. I believe there is, at least I hope there is. We, only time will tell. And we think Fields is getting close to grip strength, getting closer to be able to play in a game. You know, he has been throwing and practicing, but they're starting to hear the rumblings in Chicago. Beijing Orange, they want more Beijing in their life. And I, this reminds me of Cooper Rush in the Dallas Cowboys, where yes. everyone was saying, oh, they're winning. Great How do you take him out? Yeah. Dak Prescott hasn't played like this. And to me, the difference was not the player. The difference was how they treated and coached around the player. They know that this is a player or they're going to have to play complimentary football. So they're giving him, you know, one, two reads and then saying, be smart with the football, throw it away or, or tuck it and run. They're leaning on the run game. They're, they're playing positional football with, with their defense and putting their defense in a position to succeed. They're not asking the player to do things that they're not yet capable of doing. And I think they need to have the same relationship with play calling for Justin Fields. You are a great athlete. Let's leverage that and use that. Something that they forgot, evidently, to start this year. I think because he ended last year on such a high and people were coming in and saying, well, he's got a number one receiver. He's going to take a step. Josh Allen took the very same step when he got uh, Stephon Diggs. Two other took the same step when he got Tyreek Hill. We're expecting Justin Fields to do the same when really it's it's a different situation and a different player. I think they need to call games managing their young QB, understanding that he's still only on on a rookie deal and not expect him to be a world beater just yet and and not expect him to have him uh, throwing 40, 45 times a game. Their offense isn't built that way. and Certainly their offensive line more than anything isn't built that way and i think that's the thing is i think fields has gotten punk drunk a little bit he's taken so many hits that his eyes are coming down he's looking at the rush hopefully with some time looking from the sidelines he can go back with a clear mind yeah and and we'd all like to see that i still have faith that justin fields can be a good quarterback in this league he has a skill set that not a lot of guys have um, so we, we, we will see how that plays out. Uh, the bears, by the way, ran the ball 37 times yesterday. Deonta Foreman had 21 of them for 80 yards and a touchdown. Okay. That's enough on that game. We spent f- almost 15 minutes talking about that game. Can you believe it? That's crazy. That's hey, crazy. The bears are, the bears are 500 last six games after an old four start. That defense is playing better. Irafus has the defense humming. Their QB is on the mend and on the way back. Their running backs are healthy now. Could the Bears be making a late push? Playoffs? We're talking about playoffs? We're just trying to win a game. Uh, yeah, no, that's not. Come on. Although the NFC is a mess, so we will see. Um, okay, let's get to a couple of clips here. Um, let's start with our favorite. Well, no, our favorite's Arthur Smith because he's a... Anyway, I'm not even going to get into him. Uh, Our second favorite is whenever Bill Belichick speaks. And there have been lately 
Uh, and you and I touched on it a little bit. A lot of questions about the future of Bill Belichick, even though he signed an extension, whatever that means, because um, apparently it means nothing because they're still asking him uh, about his future. So here is Bill Belichick answering reporters' questions yesterday. Bill, uh, have you been given any assurances from ownership about your job status for the rest of the season? Yeah, my focus is on getting ready for the Colts. Do you personally believe that you could be coaching for your job this week against the Colts? I'm going to control what I can control. I'm going to get ready for the Colts. Just how has this season you know, affected you personally, and has it you know enhanced or uh, diminished your desire to, to continue coaching? Yeah, I do the same thing I always do. I try to do the best I can to help our team every week. And has it has it affected you one way or the other? What have you maybe? What have you learned about you know yourself during a, a season like this? And how have, have you kind of evolved in any any ways? Yeah, I don't know. Bill, how's your dog doing? I'm uh, I'm focused <laughs> on uh, I'm focused on our game against Indianapolis. Bill, how's the schnitzel in Germany? Uh, I'm uh, I'm just focused on whatever I can do to help our team win. Bill, are you going to be fired? Uh, I don't know. He's incredible. Like, he has... Of all the people that I would love to have a beer with, I know this is going to sound really weird, but I feel like it would be Bill Belichick because I can't imagine he's like this all the time, right? Like, there's no way that he is this monotone and this useless all the time, even in a personal conversation, right? Or am I crazy here? Apparently, he has an amazing sense of humor. <laughs> he is I'd gregarious. Like, that's the story. Uh, so would I. That's the story of people who have been around him. He just chooses not to show it publicly. The fact that he's kept this going for like 27 years is miraculous. They were trying so, so hard, asking him about perspective and emotions and feelings and diminishing feelings around coaching or enhanced, and he was not biting one iota. I, you talk about the schnitzel in Germany. I'm surprised his response wouldn't have been, I'm just eating so that I can stay alive, so that I can focus on the cold. I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm eating whatever the team supplies me. I'm focused on Indianapolis. Can you give us some of your Bill Belichick? Maybe just like you know some of life's greatest questions and how how Bill would respond. Uh, Bill, what is the meaning of life? Um, I'm not too sure, but uh, I'm focused on uh, on getting to Germany and and facing off against the Colts. Uh, Bill, uh, what business advice do you have, or for you know young up and coming business people on how to manage their money? Um, I think. Uh, I think we're playing the Colts this weekend and uh, very interested in uh, winning this football game. Bill, um, what advice would you have for a young aspiring head coach that, you know, want, they want to be a head coach or, or a GM in the NFL. Um, just focus on your next week's opponent and, uh, um, and we're on to Indianapolis. Actually, we're, we're on to uh, Frankfurt, Germany. Thank you. Or Munich or whatever the hell they're playing. He's like, he is, He's next level. And it, it, the best part is, is that I can't get enough of it. Because literal, like to be a reporter covering that team must be insanely difficult because he never gives you anything. Uh, maybe sometimes that is the story, but he generally speaking never gives you 
anything. And right now his team sucks. So it's even harder to get anything out of him because he knows that they suck. So he, he does give great, elaborate, in-depth answers about a couple topics, the history of the game and special teams. Those are the two things where if you ask him about something related to that, he will go in and go deep. And you mentioned the game is in Germany, another 9.30 a.m. kickoff for us to have a full 12 hours of football this Sunday. This was a missed opportunity. The, the game's in Frankfurt. Ask him about world history. He is a, a famous Naval Academy guy. Try to make some sort of relation to the football team and world history, some of the great world wars. I think, listen, would you have cared about the answer? Maybe not, but you would have gotten one. Yeah, he could have asked him about Winston Churchill. Hey, Bill, Winston Churchill, he was a, a great, inspiring leader during World War II. Um, yes, and uh, I'm pretty sure that Winston Churchill would say, uh, we're on to Indianapolis. That's where, he, that's what he would say. So I anyway. know, I think you go ask him, ask him what great world leader or great uh, army uh, veteran you need Mac Jones to be like. I need him to be Sunday. like. I need him to be like General Schwarzkopf. Um, okay, let's let's move on from Bill Belichick. Uh, so here's here's one, and this coach, I feel like he hasn't been afraid to say things, but he kind of you know, cat got his tongue on this one. This is Robert Saul and his appearance on the Michael K show, where uh, Michael K asks him about his quarterback. This is very very telling here. Let's go. But things have changed over three years, Robert. You've had different offensive coordinators before uh, the change to Hackett this year, and you've had different weapons around him, and the one constant is Zach, and the one constant is last year he couldn't start over over Mike White. So I, uh, first of all, this, this shouldn't be litigated. Now, I never understood with a 39-year-old quarterback why a guy who couldn't start last year was the first line of defense if he went down. You've got Trevor Simeon uh, in your building. Why, why not give him a try? No, I got you. No, it's, uh, again, the fair question. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, like I said, he, he, I don't know. You got me. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plead the fifth on all this one in terms of just. Holy smokes, man. I plead the fifth on this. Like, he was tongue tied about his quarterback, which tells you everything you need to know about how confident he is. Like, I don't think I've ever seen or heard that before when it comes to a guy being asked about the quarterback in that vein. And, and I don't, and Michael K wasn't aggressive on it. He asked him a legitimate question and Robert Sala did not have an answer for it. Like that's crazy to me. And now that's public and everybody knows. And now what's, what is going through Zach Wilson's mind right now? That his head coach, is a mafia boss and he's <laughs> on the stand and he, he can't snitch. It, it, that was bizarre. That was like kind of like Belichick, but the opposite in where he said nothing, but in saying nothing, he said everything. Yeah. To me, that means, hey, listen, I don't want to play this guy. I get why you're asking because he stinks and Trevor Simeon couldn't be any worse, but either the GM or the owner is forcing me to play this guy, but I can't say that. So I'm going to literally use 
amendment rights that don't actually apply because I'm not on the stand. I'm a football coach talking to sports media and I'm going to plead the fifth. Yeah, you, you can't imagine Zach Wilson felt encouraged hearing that. But I wonder if he was talking to the rest of his locker room because I think they know that they want him to play. And it's like, listen, guys, I agree. I just can't say it. So I'm not going to make any excuses. I'm not going to lie. I suppose I'll tell a lie of omission, but I, I'm not even going to speak on it because I can't say anything nice. And my mom told me, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. It's not, I be, if I'm not mistaken in there, he said, you got me. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, you can't say that. You can't say, oh, well, you got me. I know he sucks. Oh, my. Like, there. that to me is kind of like the dagger right there for the New York Jets. They can't bring anybody else in like the, the the trade deadline is come and gone. And that's why the, the idea that like, I don't care when Aaron Rodgers is coming back. Like Aaron Rodgers could be coming back in three weeks for, it doesn't matter. You pay that price. If you think that you're good enough, you pay that price of swapping out a sixth round pick to get Josh Dobbs in your building. Like that for me is an absolute miss by the Jets front office. Like that's not even a question right now. Well, they could have had Carson Wentz for free. Well, really? but, but at least Josh I, Dobbs not, has I'm, completed passes this year. Oh, no. Listen, I would take Josh Dobbs over Carson Wentz, no question. I think the point is they could have had anybody but Zach Wilson, and they've continued to run Zach Wilson out there. When And I wrote about this for my 10 stats piece on sportsnet.ca that goes up today. By essentially any metric you want to choose, uh, in, in terms of passing numbers, the Jets' offense is the, the worst or tied for the worst. They have been so, so bad. And with other offenses, there have been players in and out. There have been injuries. No, they just played the same guy consistently week in and week out, and they've been terrible. It's time for you know someone to kind of call Salah's caller ID and, and for him to say, new QB, who this? Like anybody – I, I may not have known you. I don't have a relationship with you. I've never seen you throw on air before, but yes, you can be my QB. Where can you sign up? Yeah. Where, where do I sign? Uh, okay. So let, let's put that one to bed. Uh, that's going to be uh, a tire fire of a game. Jets and Raiders Sunday night. Woof. Uh, but there are better games on the horizon. Let's get, let's start it off. Uh, with uh, some of the previews today, Cleveland at Baltimore. The spread is six and a half in favor of Baltimore. The total is 38. Battle of the AFC North and really what could end up being a big game for whatever the final result is of this division. Um, this is two of the best defenses in the NFL going up against each other. And we don't get to see that very often. And it feels like for me, whoever can establish the running game is going to make the difference because both of these teams have been very, very good against the run, especially lately. Um, Deshaun Watson did not play in the first game. And frankly, I don't think that that matters because Deshaun Watson hasn't been very good. Um, does this come down to if Lamar is Lamar, then this game is well in hand, regardless of what happens with that Cleveland defense? Yeah, it'll be interesting only because, you know, styles make fights. And we've seen the Browns stymie great offenses. The Bengals early in the year 
playing almost exclusively man-to-man coverage, something that people often don't do, but Jim Schwartz is willing to do it. Well, uh, you know, man has been interesting for the Ravens versus man coverage. You know, the first five games, they really struggled, 29th in QBR, uh, 20th in yards per attempt. In the last four games, they're first in QBR, second in completion percentage, fifth in yards per attempt. So as the season has gone on in Don Munkin's system, they found the man beaters and had great success. So we'll see if that is the case this week against Cleveland. This is a big one for me for Cleveland. They got two divisional games in a row. They can make a push to potentially, you know, win this division. Or I could see them, you know, if we're talking a fortnight from now i could see them you know dropping two straight and and being out of it so we'll see because they've got nothing really from the quarterback position no matter who has played uh, that defense has held it together and we'll see if that'll continue to be the case it's really the the interesting thing with all this is you're right they have not gotten the qb play and they're still you know at five and three they've been in some weird games whatever some bad weather games but it's super impressive. They're also four and one at home, which is also impressive. The only problem is, is this game's in Baltimore and Baltimore is a really, really good football team right now. Like their offense, you know, I know they didn't have to throw the ball a ton last week against the Seahawks, but they ran, they almost ran for 300 yards and they, they found uh, maybe a little bit of a diamond in the rough and Keaton Mitchell who looked great. And a lot of people will point to, yeah, but it was late in the game, but it wasn't really garbage time when Keaton Mitchell had those nine rushes for over a hundred yards. It was super impressive. Now he's has a little bit of a, a hamstring injury going on. So we'll see how they use him. But generally speaking, they've been effective at running the football. And that's why I think if they can run the football against this Browns team to open things up for Lamar Jackson, the sky's the limit here. I don't, for me, it doesn't matter how good the Browns have been because a lot of what the Browns do is based on uh, defensively is based on that pass rush, which is, has been excellent. But if you can neutralize that pass rush and, and have teams maybe play off a little bit with you because you've established the run game so well, I think it's going to open things up for Lamar Jackson. And, and maybe that six and a half point spread isn't as crazy as I thought, but uh, this is definitely going to be a, a very interesting game here. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, we've got plenty more to get to, a bunch more games that we want to get to, including uh, Niners and Jaguars. That's a big one for both teams as well. Uh, Houston, Cincinnati. Who would have thought that this one would have been a big one heading into week 10? All that coming up when we come back. This is the Fan Checkdown. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We'll be back in a few. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio like subscribe let us know uh okay we got a few games to get to here donovan let's let's start out here with the one that we mentioned before the break the 49ers and the jaguars the 49ers on the road in jacksonville 
and they are three-point favorites. The total there is 45. Niners coming off the bye and three straight losses uh, in which Brock Purdy looked very, very human. The Jags are coming off a bye as well, but five straight wins. Who do we learn more about with a win here? And I know we asked that question a lot, but I feel like with this team's with these two teams, it's very interesting because we could say if the Jags win, they're a real contender in the AFC. Maybe they're already there. And if the Niners win, Debo Samuel is back in the lineup. We go, okay, it was just a blip. Like they're, they're fine. They're still Super Bowl contenders. Who do we learn more about this week? I think it's the Niners. They've made acquisitions to fortify their defense. Their offense is getting healthier. They get Debo Samuel back, who's such a big piece for them. Ayuk is the number one in terms of route runners, but in terms of moving a player around to create matchups, that's still Debo Samuel as a wide back, and he impacts their running game as well. If the Niners drop to five and four, we're not talking about when they make the playoffs. We're talking about if. So I, for me, I... I the Jaguars, no matter what happens, is winning their division. They're most likely making the playoffs. If they win, I suppose you can make the argument they could push the Chiefs, the Ravens, uh, potentially even the Bengals for the number one overall seed in the AFC. But either way, we know they're hosting a playoff game. That's not. I can't say that. I can't say that's true about the Niners. Yeah, and and that's not something that I think anybody had on their radar was the Jags you know, hosting a, a home playoff game, maybe even getting a bye. Like, I know maybe we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here, but that's certainly in the conversation right now. And that's kind of the scary thing for me is, you know, how good are the Jaguars? Because I think there's always that seed of doubt in our mind when we talk about Jacksonville is that, well, it's still the Jags and they're going to find a way. And yes, we've seen them, you know, have a deep playoff run before with Blake Bortles as the quarterback, but you know, Trevor Lawrence, we're waiting. We're waiting for Trevor Lawrence to have that breakout game this season. Yeah, he, he kind of had it a little bit against the Bills, but they really did a good job of running the football in that game. Now I'm really curious to see, like, this is can be kind of a statement game here for Trevor Lawrence. The other thing is, this can be a statement game for the Niners' defense. Uh, Steve Wilkes is going to be on the field calling the plays as opposed to being in the press box, the, the old Matt Canada switch. Um, so he'll be on the field because that defense specifically uh, that pass rush had not been able to, to gain a lot of traction. Uh, Nick Bosa has really struggled this year. We'll see what chase young looks like, but it, I think that I think this can be a statement game for both sides. I think it can be for the San Francisco defense and it can be for Trevor Lawrence. If he has a big day as well. I agree. I, I think we will learn a lot. This is, to be honest, for me, the game I'm looking forward to the most because I'm in the content business and it's going to dictate our storylines not only next week, but I'd argue for the rest of the year. See, okay, so now I'm going to go to the next game and this is the one that I have circled and that is Houston at Cincinnati. Cincinnati favored by minus six and a half. Uh, the total there is 47 this feels like, again, much like the Jags and Niners, feels like it could be, you know, one of, if not the best game of the week. Nobody is expecting a road win here by the Texans, considering how well the Bengals have played lately. Like Joe Burrow is rolling. He's been 
probably the best looking quarterback over the past couple of weeks, impressive performances against Buffalo and San Francisco. Um, we'll see what Jamar chase and T Higgins are like, cause they are a little bit banged up. But for me, it's it's how C.J. Stroud handles this road environment in Cincinnati. He hasn't been nearly as good on the road as he has been at home. Only three touchdown passes, no interceptions in four games. He's also averaging only 6.8 yards per attempt on the road compared to 9.3 yards per attempt at home. They're going to have to push the ball to keep up with Cincinnati here. And I'm not saying that C.J. Stroud cannot do that because I believe he can, but if CJ Stroud, even in a loss, if he has a really good performance here, that MVP buzz is going to pick up and it's going to be very, very loud. Um, also depends on what the guy on the other side of the field does, but where does this game rank in terms of interest for you? It's 1-1-A with the game that we just talked about. And again, I love the storyline. CJ Stroud from the Ohio State going back into Cincinnati playing. Joe Burrow, who we all know transferred out of Ohio State because the quarterback room was a little too cluttered and went to LSU. So seeing C.J. Stroud go back in division uh, into a city he he knows well, a state that he knows well, be interesting. And he's been really good, but he's also been good because he's been kept clean. He hasn't really been pressured. He's got an 81 QBR when not pressured. That's second in the league only to Patrick Mahomes. When he has been pressured... It drops to 10. That's 24th in the league. Now, no QB likes pressure, but the Bengals, with their exotic blitzes, are able to either force actual pressure or simulate pressure where it looks like they're bringing six, seven, maybe eight, and then all of a sudden it speeds up your time clock as a passer. You throw to a hot route or a check down, and you realize that they dropped three or four guys, and it's not pressure. For a young quarterback, seeing some of those exotic looks for the first time, I want to see how C.J. Stroud is able to handle it. And on Cincy's side, who is Joe Burrow going to throw to? If you can pick up T.J. Boyd in your fantasy league, you might want to do it now because Higgins, who, you know, he didn't He didn't practice. To, he did not ago. practice today. I just saw he did not practice today, so he's out again today. That does not look very good for his Sunday status. Yeah, it's reported he's not expected to go – on Sunday, Jamar Chase uh, had an MRI that came back clear, but he's, you know, 50-50 to go. So it'll be really interesting to see, you know, who Joe Burrow is throwing to and how well they perform when they don't have that three-head monster at receiver. Yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be a really interesting matchup. You know, the Lou Anarumo versus C.J. Stroud in that offense. Well, it's more Lou Anarumo versus Bobby Slowick. Uh, will be very, very interesting. Um Okay, let's get to one. Let's get to another one here. And, you know, again, another intriguing matchup. One of the teams coming off the bye, another one coming off of a convincing win, but okay, convincing against the New York Jets right now is not necessarily uh, the same thing as it would be against somebody else. But the Lions are in LA to take on the Chargers. The Lions are coming off the bye. Um, the Lions are favored by three points. The total is 48 and a half. What I'm curious to see is what we see from the Chargers offense. Largely unimpressive against the Jets, but the Jets defense is still very good. And the offense didn't have to be very good because, let's face it, um, the Jets offense was not very good. The Chargers defense kind of took over. Uh, not a tall task, we understand that. But doesn't it feel like the the Chargers offense is 
kind of vanilla right now. Like, remember when Justin Herbert was must-watch TV? I feel like I don't really need to watch Chargers games anymore for the entertainment factor because I don't think that it's there. Offense is down all across the league, and there's no better example of the two star QBs in the AFC West. Justin Herbert, second highest paid player in the league. Patrick Mahomes, best player in the league. I feel like I'm watching a butterfly in a cage. Like, just not being able to fully express themselves. In Mahomes' case, it's because he has no receivers. They have the highest drop rate in the NFL, highest of Mahomes' career. But they're on a bye. So let's focus on the Chargers. I feel like the person dropping the ball in that scenario is Kellen Moore, who was supposed to bring more enthusiasm and exotic plays to the Chargers offense, and it started well. The defense couldn't stop anybody. Now that the defense has played a bit better, the offense, for whatever reason, has become vanilla. So going up against the Detroit team with Ben Johnson, who, like, they don't fool you. They they come in with – distinct game plan and they execute it at a high level and that comes from the top of Dan Campbell. Don't, don't you just feel like this is going to be a Lions beatdown? Like three points. I understand the Chargers are at home, but you know Jared Goff has played more games in that stadium than Justin Herbert has. I think the Lions are probably unlucky to be six and two. I think the Chargers are lucky to be four and four. I, I can see this being an ugly, ugly game and the Lions winning big. You? You think it's going to be ugly. I think I, I wondered about that too, but ugly isn't scoreless. No, no, not, not I, no, I know. Finish. I know. I, I, there has to be a, there has to be an answer here from the chargers after that performance, right? Like they're they're in terms of their offense. And I agree. A lot of this falls on Kellen Moore because I don't think that Justin Herbert's playing poorly, certainly not turning the ball over, but they're not. And, and part of this is no Mike Williams, no Josh Palmer. Quinton Johnson was always going to be a long-term project. Like, there's a lot of factors in here and why the offense has kind of changed its stripes a little bit. But they're going to have to they're going to have to get creative to keep up with the Lions. Like, the Lions offense is still one of the best in football. And they will get David Montgomery back this week. So, we'll see how, how that backfield shakes out between um, Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. But, I mean... They're going to have to put up points here. So I, I don't think it's necessarily going to be super ugly because the other thing is, is, you know, I've, I've, you know, been banging the drum for the the lions, but they've kind of, they've kind of slowed down a little bit. Like they haven't had, I mean, the, the schedule has also not been super competitive uh, some weeks, but I mean, you can only play the teams that are in front of you. I think that this is going to be a close ish game. How about that? Like I maybe not within a field goal, like the, the spread would suggest. I mean, three points for a road team is pretty, pretty good, but this is also kind of make or break for the chargers here a little bit, because if you can't beat the lions, you know, the chiefs coming off the bye is going to be, you know, they're going to be set and, and the division's not going to be in question. There's other teams in the AFC playoff race that are playing better than the chargers right now. So a loss here is massive, but on the flip side for Detroit, Donovan, this is also a big game. Like I know the lions are six and two, uh, but the Minnesota Vikings right now are five and four. And there, you can't really have any hiccups because the Viking schedule is a little soft, which I was surprised at, but it's a little soft. And they have a quarterback that, hey, he was really good 
coming, I don't want to say off the street because he wasn't, but, you know, off the plane without any semblance of an idea of the game plan. And he was really good. So I don't think that the Lions can take this game lightly either. They've had the extra week to prepare, so they should be able to get out in front of things here. But sneaky, sneaky big game for the Lions too. Yeah, I think so. I think this is a game where not just the outcome, but the scoreline will give us some definitive information on if the Lions are a contender or a pretender. Uh, I still think they're a contender, but there's uh, there's lots of runway here for that to happen. Uh, your your Dallas Cowboys, and when I saw, I was like, the spread for this game is going to be, it's going to be big. I, I'm not going to lie. I did not expect this. Uh, Giants at Cowboys. Cowboys favored by 17 points. The total is 39. They've already laid a beating on the Giants, and that was with Daniel Jones on the field. And we can say what we want about Daniel Jones. He's still better than Tommy DeVito at this point. Um, even with whatever Daniel, jo- you know, the torn ACL, he's probably still better than Tommy DeVito. Um, the Cowboys have won 11 straight at home by an average of 17 points per game, which you and I had spoken about, which was very, very surprising. In this type of game, what do you need to see from the Cowboys? Because I I, I can't imagine a scenario where the Giants are very competitive here on an, on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, but I guess the question is, what do you need to see from the Cowboys offense? Because the last week, Dak Prescott looked really good against the Eagles. People can poo-poo all over Dak Prescott all they want. He was not the reason why they lost. I mean, stepping out of bounds on the two-point convert, like those kinds of things happen. But he was as good in that game that we have seen him all year. I need to see a beatdown, and I need to see a beatdown where it's a get-right game, it's homecoming, and everybody eats. You mentioned the fact that they beat them down early in the year. That was in uh, New York. This is at home in Dallas where they are a much better team. They've scored 30 points or more in every home game. They've averaged win at home was 26 points. Brandon Cooks? We need to get you to feel good about yourself. You need to get some touches, some scores. Can we get that running game going again and have Tony Pollard rip off some big runs? If you look at this offense, and I'm going to include the offensive line in this, how many players would you say is having a, a better year than expectation? I mean, CeeDee Lamb has uh, been uh, a beast. and Dak Prescott got the turnovers out of his system. And Jake Ferguson has filled in nicely for Dalton Schultz, who people forget was ahead of Dalton Schultz on the depth chart before he got hurt and then lost his role to Schultz, who became a real good player for the Cowboys in the last couple of years. But outside of that, you want to go to Jalen Tolbert, you want to go to Rico Dowdle, all of the other offensive players have been average or down relative to what you expected to get from them. So would love to see a bunch of those players get off. And then I think defensively, Michael Parsons wants to make a run for defensive player of the year, given the start of the year that we've seen from the talented pass rushers in the AFC, uh, Crosby and, uh, you know, Watt and Garrett. Michael Parsons has to have himself a day uh, against uh, DeVito and company. DeVito and company sounds like uh, a drywall company. I'm not going to lie. Uh, or whatever, you know, 
Actually, it'd be a tile company because a lot of Italians are tile setters. I know because I have a family of them. Um, for the- DeVito and Barkley, personal injury lawyers. <laughs> like our pals Salino and Barnes. Um, for the Giants, uh, just a, about a minute here. Uh, j- for the Giants, what else can you kind of say about this season? Like, I hope this horror show does not end in Brian Dable losing his job because this is far from his fault here. Yeah, I mean, I think you got to take the lesson with the losses and understand that last year was a bit of smoke and mirrors. They had a soft schedule and, you know, they won well above what expectation would say from an analytics standpoint. You have a decision to make on Saquon Barkley. You're going to have to eat some dead cat money, but you have a decision to make on Daniel Jones. And you have to go to the, back to your process and understand why no matter what we do, draft, free agency, we can't find a number one receiver. Yeah, and that is, or or at least, you know, stop acquiring slot receivers and tight ends because, I mean, that, that generally speaking doesn't work out for you. Or at least acquire a tight end that can stay on the field and isn't always uh, banged up with a hamstring injury. Uh, okay, I'm going to get a couple of best bets in for the weekend. Jared Goff, over 267 and a half passing yards. He's been over that number in the last three games, and the Chargers have given up 280 and a half yards per game through the air at home. The other one, Rashad White, over three and a half receptions. He's been over that number in three straight, and he's really found a role in that offense, getting basically all the work. And uh, the Titans just gave up five catches to the Steelers' running backs last Thursday. Uh, Quickly, did you get your furniture? Still waiting. Buddy, the 9 to 5 window is something special when it comes to deliveries to your home. Uh, All right. Thanks to everybody behind the glass. Thanks to Donovan. Uh, And we will be back on Monday. Plenty to talk about after another weekend of football. Maybe we will get another Bill Belichick quote. Uh, Matt, we are uh, we're looking forward to the show on Monday Uh, off to Germany. Uh, and off with you on your weekend. Thank you very much for listening to the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Talk to you on Monday.